Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Let's hear it for our moms. Yeah, and I thought, you know, what better day than Mother's Day to have Karen come up and answer some questions, right? By the way, moms, as you leave here this morning, we have a gift for you. We, we want you to take a sisterhood journal with you. So we've got this for every one of our moms here this morning, and uh, that's a big deal. We're so glad to be able to, to do that for you. Yeah. Over the years, uh, over the last 19 years having been here, we've pretty much raised our kids here. And um, Wesley and Julia have just been a part of our journey. And so it has just, uh, I think it was, a, uh, we're, we're at years now where, where they're, uh, they're not out of the house totally, but, but we've kind of done most of our job. And we, we're shifting from, from the authority in their life to just the counsel in their lives. And uh, that's a part of where we are, what we're doing. And I thought this morning it'd be a great opportunity to have Karen answer some of the questions. So I'm actually going to deflect most of the questions to her. And then I have something that I want to share just a little bit about. And uh, I, I want to actually start off uh, um, with a passage of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 14, uh, it says this. It said, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. Now, what we hear that, and we, we kind of zone in on the whoever fears the Lord. And we think in terms of fearing a God who looms over us in authority. And that is not what that passage means. It means whoever fears the Lord, whoever recognizes Him for who He is and places Him in our lives in terms of that, whoever has reverence for God, recognizing who He is, whoever does that and applies that in your life, it goes on to say, has a secure fortress. In other words, it will never break down. It will never fail. It is a constant that you can wrap your life around. And then he goes on to say, and their children will be, and for their children, it will be a refuge. See, it's not only for you, but your children will find refuge in the fact that you have done that. And, you know, as moms and dads, Karen and I are no different than you guys. There were those years where we're thinking, is it going to take? I mean, I mean are, are, we're raising our kids the best way we know how, honoring God and raising them. And, and some, some things come along and you're thinking, oh, my God, are they going to get it? Is, 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 is this going to? I'm going to sit down. Can okay, you sit? Yeah. And, uh, and so, I, I, you know, in light of that and, and in light of the questions that, that have been asked, I, I just think we'll dive right into it. Um, and I want to throw some, some questions at you. I'll throw probably... Um, at least the first uh, two or three or something like that, and then we'll do a few more, and, and I'll try and be better this service than I was in the last service. Um, uh, it's a little long in the tongue. Uh, I went a little bit long, but you did most of the speaking. <laughs> so let, let me just ask you the first question. How do you balance it all? How do you... Karen, uh, let me just probably give some of you some information that maybe some of you don't know. Karen... Uh, is a director of our, our school, Carolback Academy Charter School. It's on our campus. 
Uh, Camelback Academy is a separate 501c3 than the church, and, and yet the two, in a lot of ways, work hand in hand. The school does everything it can for the church, the church does everything it can for the school, and together we do our absolute best to impact our community with the gospel and to impact our, can serve our community with education. And it's just, it's just those of you who are part of that in some way or shape or form, many of you are, you, you just know uh, that, that we, we both live in the blessing of that. And uh, so, and Karen runs the school, uh, and 19 years ago when we got here, Karen was committed to being a homeschool mom to Wesley and Julia. That was going to be her goal. And God had another idea and gave her another 560 or 70 students besides those two. So, you know, when, when we have one idea, God has another idea so often. So, yeah. So how do you balance all that? How do you balance life like that? Yeah. So you, you talked about this study about that the average mom has about 17 yes. jobs, right? So in everything that we do as a mom, there's there's at least 17 things that we are responsible for, or jobs that we do as a mom. And so it's, it's hard when you think about all of those jobs, a little less than 20, how do you balance them? How do you keep all the balls in the air? And I would say that, you know, for me, um, as a mom, I, I have felt like the way that I can best balance my life, and I don't really think about like work-life balance. I know that's a phrase that's really popular right now, and people keep talking about work-life balance. And you moms know there's no such thing as work-life balance, right? It's really all about rhythms and priorities and setting priorities in your life and what's most important and focusing on those things. And that's where um, I felt that I've been able to keep that quote-unquote balance at an at a equal level um, throughout my, my career as a mom, so to speak. So. Um, we've been real intentional, intentional, intentional about picking priorities that will best um, suit us as a family and, and give us the, the, the I don't know, the, the most effective way to raise our kids and to, in, a, in a godly way and to have a, a family um, that is honoring to God. So there was a lot of times that we had to say no to things. Um, for us, our, you know, our church family is just as important as our as our you know, biological family. And so we, we didn't do things or pick things or pick um, activities for the kids to do that would have them um, out of church on Sunday. So for us, you know, we had to say no to some of those things. And um, also we, we decided that family time was going to be something that was really important to us because we pour our lives into ministry and because I'm a business owner, you know, so much of our life is tied up in those great responsibilities. We felt like we needed to really carve out family time for our kids. And so, um, you know, there were Friday nights and Saturday nights where we were together, you know, watching movies, hanging out. We didn't do things, you know, extravagant things, but we just made sure that we were real intentional about spending time together as a family. And even in our teenage years, uh, you know, we tried to create a home environment that was inviting to kids so they'd want to be there. Um, and we spent a lot of time with our kids even as teenagers. And now as adults, what it looks like, um, as you said, um, at just temporarily, we're all still living in the same place. But even so, we're so busy, we're all going in different directions. And it's very mm. rare that we're all home at the same time. So what we've done um, with our kids as adults is we've carved out Saturday Sunday nights and that's our family dinner night. And so that to the best of our ability, we try to always get together on Sunday night and carve out that time and have to have um, family time together. Uh, you know, when the kids were younger, our summers were super important. It was great for me being, you know, employed by a school. So we were able to take our summers and take vacations together. Um, about six of those summers, we all piled into an RV 
and uh, the, the four of us spent you know, two weeks together in a 30-foot automobile, and, and you know that that will force you to really commit to each other and to, <laughs> and to you know, build on those relationships. So those are the kind of the, some of the simple things that we did. I mean, it really wasn't any one big thing. It was really just laying out those priorities, what was most important to us as a family. And it, I, I would have to say, too, um, you can hear that and think that we had it all together. I got to tell you, we did not have it all together. We messed up as much. And while, while that's our priority and that's what we do, it, don't get the impression that we did it perfectly. We didn't. We certainly gave it our all. Uh, let, me, let me jump right to the next question in the interest of time. How do you find time for yourself in light of all of that? How do you make your Karen time, whatever that means? Yeah. So at this season in my life, I, I have more available time to devote to, you know, me time, so to speak. Um, but there were, you know, seasons, 20 years, where I didn't have the, that time. And those of you who are moms and dads, you know about that. So what I found would, would, that helped me then, which I've carried with me even through now, is I had to develop habits that would center me, um, center me and center my day where, the way that it needed to go, center my day with God. So I would spend, um, and I didn't always perfectly do this, but I was very intentional about making it a priority to spend time the first part of my day with God. We talk about this all the time here, right? Mm. Talk about spending at least those first 15 minutes in prayer. Um, you know, if James and I, as husband and wife, if we never talk to each other, our, our commitment level, you know, might be the same, but our relationship would be surely different than it is right now. We would never, con we wouldn't have the same connection and intimacy. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your relationship with God. You know, he wants to hear from you. He wants to communicate with you. And so spending that first 15, yeah. 30 minutes in the morning um, in prayer, uh, calling out to him, uh, coming to him for guidance, for reassurance, for answers, for direction, and then reading his, his Bible, reading his love letter to us. You know, he created um, the Bible for us to teach us and to correct us when we need correcting. So really making that a commitment in my life um, has been a, a great way for me to find time for myself. At least I know I have that time. No matter what faces me the rest of the day, I know I've had that time in the morning. Um, another thing that um, in, in this, really in this season of our lives as, as parents of adult children and, and kind of senior leaders at this level, we've realized that it's, um, it's the next thing that's coming up in our lives is raising up the next generation of leaders here at Camelback and mm -hmm. looking at our, some of our young adults and really you know, building into them and raising them up to be the next generation of leaders because, I don't know, babe, how many years do you have left? I've got <laughs> at least 20, I don't know. <laughs> but so, I mean, there's going to come a point, you know, where we... Just, we because, just because she's younger than I am, okay, does not mean that she's going to outlive me, Okay. We have a piece of paper that says that. We, 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 go, we go at this every once in a while. I am, I, I am uh, how many years old am I? 14 years. I'm 14 years older than Karen, and I am convinced that I'm going to outlive her. Okay. <laughs> she, however, is convinced that she's going to outlive me. Yeah. So those of you who go to Vegas often, you can, you can figure out how you want to place your, place your wagers against this, and we invite you to go ahead and bet on one of us and see that. who... And see who see who is going who is going to win this. But you were going to talk. Yeah, was, we have our life group in our in our um, uh, our life group is valuable to us. There are several couples that are in our life group. We've been in a group together, and uh, um, I'm taking up more time, yeah. aren't I? Well, anyway, um, we we have a great. I, I just love the people that are in our life group. I know them 
in a much deeper way than I would have ever known them had we not been together in a life group. So that's an important part of our, our uh, and then you're probably so, going to. Yeah, so <clears throat> as I was saying, um, building into the next generation. So I lead a, a, a girls' Bible study once a week. And so just a group, a small group of girls who are, you know, next generation leaders, and I'm building into them, and, and we're going through devotionals and studies. And, and so really it's just doing things I love to do, and that's something that I love to do. And another thing, you know, like you were saying, our life groups. So you know, I'm an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. So I don't get energy being away from people. I'm energized and fueled by being with people. So being in a life group, um, that has been, you know, it's not for me by myself, but it, it's, some, it's a way for, I, for my, me to have self-care and um, for me to really commit to building into the life. Yeah, and, and Karen talked about uh, that daily time with God. That is so important. But I got to tell you, if you guys are like me, and I know you are, here's the reality. So often there are days that we don't get the opportunity to do that. Our, our, we step into our day and we're out the door and we haven't made time to spend our 10, 15 minutes in God's Word and, and in times of prayer with Him. I would encourage you, as you step into those days, purpose to at least take time for one verse. Just even if it's one verse, because then you're, then you're stepping into your day in a different way then if you had not, no, God knows that you're headed into something and that you don't have time for it. But if you'll just stop and take just a minute or two, and even one verse, if you can't just do that because it will begin to make a difference in your life with that level of consistency. I, I, I would throw the one verse thing at you. Let, let me ask you this. How do you handle uh, the emotional side of everything uh, with all that you're doing? I, and I know emotions come into life so how do you handle that? How do you not burn out, so to speak? And that's, mm -hmm. that's a big, um, big phrase that we hear a yeah. lot of. So what's your... It's interesting how each of your questions kind of support each other. But, you know, if I'm talking about emotional... I know, he's like, you didn't plan it. <laughs> you are the professional. So I would say, so for me, it's not really something that I struggle a lot with. Um, I'm not a very emotional person. So if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 3. Um, if you're familiar with the DISC, I'm a high D, which is a driver, a doer. Um, I don't remember my Myers-Briggs because there's too many letters in it. Um, but I am a, so I, emotions are just not something that, I mean, I have emotions, but I'm not very emotional. So I don't, so the bad part about that is as I might be here and not recognize it, right? Because I keep going. So the phrase burnout, I, I heard a couple weeks ago somebody say, you know, there's really, burnout's really not a thing. And the reason why he said that, he's going to stay with me for a minute, the reason why burnout's not a thing is when you blow out a candle or when a candle is burned out, it's gone, right? It's extinguished. So we don't, you know, we're, we're done and we extinguish when we die. And so we're not burning out. We're not burned out because if we were, we would be alive. What happens is we have buildup that happens in our life. We have a buildup of stress and, and responsibilities and emotions and family and friends and uh, and all that just builds up in our life and we don't deal with it. That's what I think is what we're talking about here with emotional stress. Um, and so I think one of the ways to really conquer that is rest. It sounds so simple, but rest is so important. I was talking before about rhythms in our life. And rest has to be a, a priority for one of those rhythms in our life. And when I say rest, I mean true rest, like an intentional quieting of your mind and your heart. Like think about that phrase for a minute, the intentional quieting of your mind and your heart. That may cause you to go to sleep. 
It may cause you to take a nap. It may cause you to take a uh, vacation or may cause you, for some of you, to go to the mall. You know, it just whatever it is, you know, just that intentional quieting. That was a really bad example going to the mall. Yeah. That, um, yeah, yeah. Why I said that? <laughs> Something inside of me. So, um, but, you know, the buildup happens really when we try to live our life apart from God's power and strength. Yeah. And yeah. when you think about taking that time for yourself, when you take that 15 minutes, it gives you that strength. And it gives you the power to, to go through your day and hit the things that are going to hit you because we have no idea what's going to come after us that day. And conversely, when we don't take that time, we feel the strength leave. We, str we feel the lack of power in our life. And so that 15 minutes, that prayer time that you have forgot, I think that's one of probably when I do find myself at a place where I've hit emotional like buildup, I almost said burnout, buildup, then I find that those are the times that I need to run to God. I need to run to God, to him in prayer. And not just, God, I have a need, or God, I'm exhausted, and I need to run to you in prayer and then move on. No, what I mean is like consistent prayer, like lean into that prayer time with God and don't stop praying until you've either felt release from something or you felt his peace. You know, God wants you to, to be, you know, to be, to be long-winded in your prayers, so to speak. He wants you to keep going in those prayers and not just pray and then just give up. And, you know, prayer really has two roles in our life. The first role that prayer has in our life is a refueling process, and that's kind of what that leaning into prayer is. When you're asking God to fill you, to, yeah. to empower you, to, to give you his strength and his power, to, to face those things, that's that refueling process. The other one is the offloading. And that's the process where, you know, we say... Um, uh, you've heard the phrase, you know, you just got to give it to God in prayer, right? Where you're just praying about something and you just don't know what to do and you need to just let it go, like Elsa says, and you just need to let it go and then leave it there. Don't pick it up. Just leave it there at the yeah. cross and don't pick it up. And those are the two really, the, the two roles that prayer has in our life is, and the on, value that it has. And on, on Good Friday, when so many of us, when we are here in the Good Friday service, and many of us know that you know, there, there are really two reasons that we come down. We write out something on the cross. Either we write out something that we're going to give to God, we, we're making him a promise, or we write out something that we're going to leave. And that's what Karen was talking about, that second part about prayer. There's something that we've been struggling, something that we keep picking back up. Well, on, on Good Friday, when we come forward and we write that out on a piece of paper and we nail it to the cross, we are symbolically doing that. We are leaving it right there. We're just giving that whole problem to God, knowing that only he can deal with it and, and because we've tried and we can't. So that's uh, kind of a follow through on, on that. So, uh, and I would say that the last thing that um, helps with emotional stress and that helps me in my life is too, and it's right here. It's a close yeah. friend. A close yeah. friend, you know, for ladies, you know, it's a sister or a friend or maybe it's your spouse, somebody that you can, that's, that you can trust, that you can talk to about those deep, intimate things in your heart, the lady that's going to call you up to your kingdom potential, a lady that's going to challenge you, a friend that's going to, um, to accept you and to encourage you, to hold you accountable when you need to be held accountable to the, those things. You know, God didn't create us to live life alone. He didn't create us to live life without relationship with him or with each other. We're a spiritual family. So if you don't have that person in your life, I would encourage you just to, just to right now, even um, today, just pray for who that person might be in your life, that person that you can just go to and that's going to call you up, lift you up, and, um, and be there for you. And the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, and we don't, by the way, we don't even, we don't know who uh, wrote Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. In other words, not 
when I, then I, he says, but do it today. Encourage one another. Take advantage of today and encourage each other. And, uh, um, you know, you can, you can look at, sometimes people look at the pastor and they think, well, the pastor has it all together. And, you know, the pastor and his wife, they have, they have it all together. I got to tell you, um, there have been, uh, our life is no different than your life. We have struggles in our lives. We have, uh, in raising our kids over, over the last 19 years, um, they haven't been perfect, you know. Wes has done things maybe that weren't, and Julia, what, and, and our impression all along has been, Julia has been better to us than Wes. You know, <laughs> Julia has been easier to handle than Wes. But now Julia's married, right? And Julia's willing to share some things she wasn't willing to share before. So now we're learning, well, maybe the scales are not so different. Wes was just more transparent. Yeah, yeah Wes, Wes didn't cover it up as yeah. much. So, so, not that we, they were like horrible kids and did horrible things. No, no. Normal. And we had them, we, we got married and we had Wesley and Julia, we had, our, we had two right kids away. right away. And we didn't do that because we love kids. Karen could not keep her hands off of me. Well, you know. A younger guy, you know. We, we, had, we had all kinds of things to deal with in life. I mean, there were, Karen went through a number of surgeries. It seemed like when we thought we were done with surgeries, there would be another one. And, you know, there, there are things that we deal with in life, too. And we live in the same culture that you guys live in. I actually want to dive into something quickly here. I want to talk about a principle that God lays out in Scripture that I think is so important. And in our culture and in the world that we live in, especially, especially now more than ever, we're really seeing it, uh, the broad effects of it. I, I want to talk about this, this biblical principle. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And he writes first to children. Look what he says in Ephesians 6. Verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. God designed, he, gave, he gave children to parents so parents would steward and raise those children. As parents, we obviously know better than our children. I know as children we think we know better than our parents. But when we are, when we are being grown and raised by our parents, the reality is our parents know more than we do. So he, Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he turns and he talks not just to children. He turns and he talks to everybody. And he says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment. Out of the commandments God gave, that was the first commandment. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This is the first commandment that God gave to us that he actually put a promise along with it. If you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, I'm, I'm, I may not do this. And he gives us a promise. And he goes on in verse 3, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And he gives us that promise. And for some of us sitting here this morning that creates a tension in you because you would turn to me and say, James, you don't know my mother. You don't know my father. You don't know my situation with my parents. 
they, they, he or she, they were not honorable. And we think that because they were not honorable, we now have an exception clause. Because they were not honorable, I don't need to honor them. But that's not why he's given it. See, in the, in the Hebrew, in the original language of the Old Testament, which is where Paul reaches back and he takes this from, it, it, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew means to give weight to, to recognize the value that God has placed on it. In other words, you need to recognize that God values your mother and your father, and he gives value to the position regardless of how they've been. And it's not for their benefit. Now, our parents will benefit by, by us honoring them, and, and, and that's good and should be so. But we don't do this just for their benefit. We do it for our own benefit. Because what it does is it places us in position for God's blessing. Because we're being obedient to what he's asking. And besides that, our moms and our dads, God's design is our moms and our dads have years of experience that we can glean from and that we can benefit from. And as we look at our society, much of our society is living dishonored lives because we are not honoring the people that God recognizes. People that God honors, we treat differently than that. And I'm seeing this culture wide. And in doing that, we actually, we grieve his spirit because what he wants to do is he wants to bless. And when, when, you're, when we're obeying God with this honor your father and your mother, our kids are going to benefit from that because our kids are going to learn that this is something that they need to do. We're being a great example for our kids. In our culture, we've gone through a little bit of a season where a lot of our culture is dishonoring police officers. In the, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, in our culture, we dishonored those in the military. And as we do both of those, we reap the consequences of that as a society. Positions in authority, a teacher, a principal, leaders in our community, God says, honor those positions. Even if you don't agree politically, honor the position. And this is for our benefit. It's for your benefit so that you reap God's blessing because we're doing what he asks us to do. So um, I'll, we'll look at the last three questions. You have, I think we've filled them out in your notes so you don't have to write, but, but how do we honor them? Why, why don't you answer the first one? Uh, we honor them by loving them. <laughs> so how do we honor our parents? How do we honor? I'm going to speak mostly to that relationship to parents. Well, we honor them by loving them. Yeah. Um, that unconditional, that biblical love. And, and we talked about it earlier. And, and interestingly enough, that was the first command that God gave to his people back in Exodus, that, that you were to honor your parents, you honor your mother and father. And then Paul reaches back into that in Ephesians with the, the scripture read, that you read earlier. Honor them by loving them. You know, when we talk about um, honoring them by loving them as children, as minor children, that looks like respect and obedience and, and those sorts of things. When we talk about um, honoring and by loving as adult children, that really looks like 
acknowledging them, considering them, and loving them. Um, interestingly enough, I read a, a study that said that most parents of adult children who feel distant and feel like they're not connected to their kids, they feel that way because they feel like they're unvalued. They feel like they don't have any value that they're able to place back into their children's lives. They don't feel the connection physically because they're not with them. Maybe they don't talk to them as much. They might be far away. But the biggest thing that makes them feel like they, they, they don't belong and they're not connected to their kids is because they feel like they don't hold value for them. But in 1 Timothy 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 4, um, Paul talks about this. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these, meaning the children or grandchildren, should learn first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. So if I look at, at honoring my, my parents and, and loving them by placing value on them, and I look at it in terms of what Paul says here in Timothy, that tells me that this is really important to God, that this concept of loving our parents or honoring them by loving them is really important to him. Yeah, the, the second thing I, I would, as a matter of fact, I, am I answering this one? this one? Honor them by valuing them. So we would honor our parents by showing their value, by, by pointing out their value. And God places value on them. This is whether your parents are living or, or they're dead or they're not even here anymore. In conversation, you can talk about your mom or your dad. And in that conversation, you would honor them. You wouldn't talk about them to your children and, and talk them down or suppress them. We ought not to be afraid to share thing, uh, things that are not, uh, not positive, but we ought to leave the conversation with honoring them. You know, your grandfather used to do this and he used to drive me nuts, but you know, but you know what? We love him dearly and so grateful that God has placed him in, in our life. Leave it on a, on a strong and positive note. Let me step into dangerous waters here because I just think we, we need to. Um, th this is even with our political leaders. The Bible calls us to honor those in authority over us. We have this season here in America. It's called election season, okay? We have our elections and then the election is over. You know what we need to do after the election is over? We just need to drop it, okay? And I know what's in this room. We have Republicans and Democrats in this room. And here's the reality. You know, those of you who are Republicans, you struggled when Bill Clinton was president, and you struggled when Obama was president, and you didn't struggle when George Bush was president, and you're not struggling with, Bush, with Trump being president. And here's the reality. In our culture... We, we are now at a place where we're not able to drop it. Our, 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 the people have spoken, and they have voted, and those of you who are Republicans, and you lived through Bill Clinton, and you lived through Barack Obama, you survived it. And those of you who are Democrats, you survived George W. You're going to survive Donald. It's going to be okay. You may not like a lot of it, but you know, as believers, here's what we don't need. We don't need us as believers jumping on the bandwagons of this constant, hateful conversation. It is so bad in our nation that when you turn on the television, 
The news commentaries are exactly that. They are commentaries. I grew up in a different world. I grew up in a world where at 6 o'clock at night, you turn the television on. My father used to call it the television. You turn the television on, and you would hear the news, regardless of what political party the commentator had. Now, you don't get that. You hear the news, and it's not just 6 o'clock at night. It's all day long, and it's on the Internet all day long, and it's a whole different world, and our culture is being sucked up into this, and, and it is creating an environment that is just not healthy and good. And as believers, I believe that our response ought to be different than the response of the culture in the world. And you know what? Election comes, and, 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 I, and I know some of you who are Democrats would say, well, yeah, but, but he didn't get the popular vote. The, the losing party always comes up with that one when it applies. He, he didn't get the popular vote. Let me throw, let me throw, let me throw a bomb in the middle of, of your family. Hillary didn't get the popular vote in her party. Bernie got the popular vote. So let's not even go there. And the framers of our, of our society, the, those who designed our culture, intentionally placed the Electoral College there for a very good reason. If we did not have the Electoral College, and let me just give you a little bit of clarity here. It doesn't matter which party you're in, because both parties keep throwing this one around. It just depends who's in office. If we did not have the Electoral College vote, then there are five cities in our nation that would determine who gets into office. And everybody else in America, for the most part, wouldn't matter. And so the designers of our system put that in place. And, you know, we, we can agree and disagree on all of this stuff. And that's fine. It's okay to disagree. But let's make sure we come back to a place where we are really, um, we're really placing, we're doing what the Scripture tells us to do. Do you know what the Scripture tells us to do? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And he goes on to say, kings and those in authority. We don't have kings, we have presidents. So no matter who is in authority, it may not be your guy, this is what God is asking us to do, to pray for those in authority, so that we may live peaceful lives, quiet lives, in all the goodness and holiness. And then he goes on to say, this is good, and it pleases God, our Savior. It's okay to be Republicans and Democrats. Lighten up. That's a reality. And I know we all get passionate about it, and that's okay. But let's honor. Let, let's honor God's word and be obedient to his word. And there, through your lifetime and my lifetime, we're going to have people in power we like and people in power we don't like. But let's not that be what controls our lives. Let's let the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and the, his work of grace in our lives be the main thing in our lives. So scripture calls us to honor those in authority. Let's just do that. Let's be obedient. And then honor them by forgiving them. Why don't you take that since I've made it so quiet in here? I was like, we can say amen and go home. <laughs>
So the, the third way that we are able to honor our, our parents and those in authority over us is by forgiving them. And so for just like the, um, just like just the whole concept of honoring them, forgiving them, let's dig down even for it more, that can be a really hard idea because maybe, you know, your parent or your grandparent, whoever uh, raised you, maybe they were not honorable. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they caused pain in your life, didn't set you up for success as an adult. And so that whole concept of forgiving them just is, is a very difficult concept for you to, to latch on to. But let me read you what Proverbs 2020 says about this. If someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. Hmm. That, is, uh, that, that speaks a lot to me and uh, makes me think that, you know, unforgiveness, keeping that unforgiveness, you know, maybe you think that you're punishing them by not forgiving them, or, you're, or even more, you're protecting yourself from, from more harm uh, and pain. But in actuality, by not forgiving them, you're damaging yourself more than you are them. You're punishing yourself more than you are them. Because the, God, you know, he forgives us. He has forgiven us of every single one of our sins. He, he says that our sins are as far away as the east is from the west. When we sin our, and we ask for forgiveness, our sins go into the, the sea of, of, of forgiveness. And if God can do that for us, and we are, are sinners and he is perfect, mm -hmm. how much more is he calling us to do that for each other? And not just because it's, it's what he's called us to do, because it's healthy for our soul, it's healthy for us. And God promises that when we, we are able to do that, that we are keeping the doors of his blessing wide open in our lives by forgiving other people. Not because they don't deserve it, um, not because they, you know, they didn't ask for it, or maybe they're still doing it, but it's because that's what he's called us to do, and that's the, the, that's the framework that we have to live a life that is, is holy and pleasing to him and is most healthy for us. Yeah, we, we forgive, and we need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of it. You need to be reminded of it. If you, if you were to take a piece of paper and a pencil, and you were to begin to write down the the things in your life that you hope nobody ever finds out about, the things that you've done, things that the, the worst things that you've done, the sins that you know that you've committed, if you, you were to begin to write a list of that, you would very quickly be reminded why you need a Savior. And that's all of us, guys. That's, don't, don't look up at the platform and think everybody on this platform is at a different level. We are all on the same level. We deal with the same issues. We need a Savior. And we have been, for our sins, we have been forgiven for our sins. All of them. All of the ones on that list. Every, and some of, our, some of our lists would be bad. My list would be bad. And I've been forgiven for those sins by the love of Jesus Christ and his willingness to be nailed to a cross. And not only those sins, but, but the ones that I, I'm currently committing. And the ones that I'm, because I'm, I'm a sinner, the ones that I'm going to commit in the future. And, and when I came to him and accepted him as my savior, he not only forgave me for my sins, but he loved me so much right where I was at in my sin. And made a commitment to me that from that day forward, he wasn't going to leave me there. He was going to be my Savior day by day, moment by moment, 
on an ongoing, never-ending process until eventually I'm with him. And that's a promise and a commitment that he makes to us. He is our Savior. And so with those in authority over us and those in our lives, we forgive them because we have first been forgiven. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. That's the huge deal. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. That's us, church. Let's stand together. I want to pray with you. Father, thank you. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for the transformation that you're making in lives here. And even God even at a time when some are pointing at millennials and saying, you know, why are they? And, 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 it's, and it's not a good question. We can recognize here what you're doing in hearts and lives at Camelback. And we are so grateful and encouraged. And we love you, Father, for that. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me just throw that out to you real quickly. What that simply means is that you recognize and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And He came to earth in the form of a baby. And He allowed them to nail Him to a cross. They placed Him in a tomb. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. And He rose from the dead. And, and in, in many different meetings, everyone recognized, and history records that, in one meeting, even more than 500 people at once saw him together in a meeting. And then he ascended into heaven. And he did this as the Son of God to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. Just by believing that that is true, that he is the Son of God, and he did that for your sins, by believing that, you actually become a part of his family and you become one of his children. And if you've never known that before and never recognized that or never accepted that gift into your life, I'd like to offer that to you this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed. And raising your hand doesn't do this. Just believing it does it. And if you believe that this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just so I know, would you stick your hand up and put it right back down real quickly? Yes, 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 yes. So good to see those hands. Father, Lord, I pray especially for these hands that went up this morning, recognizing who you are, accepting your gift of salvation, and accepting you coming alongside, not just as a Savior, but a Lord of our lives. All of heaven celebrates. That's how valuable that is. Our family just got larger. And we worship you and we praise you for that. And if that was you this morning, tell somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell somebody. Lord, thank you for the moms that are with us this morning, the moms in our lives. Bless this day as Mother's Day as we celebrate it. And Lord, we honor you. We love you. And 
as we take this next song and we worship you, and after that with, with our time of prayer. We are so thankful for your work in our life individually and in our life as a family. In your name we pray. Amen.